Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 141 for April 24th, 2008, the RSA Conference. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. It's time for Security Now. Where we, where in which we attack the attackers, we hack the hackers, we crack the crackers, we talk about what's going on in the world of security with Steve Gibson. He's the guy who created, coined the term, he didn't create it, he coined the term spyware. Others created spyware. He just found it. He uh, <laughs> also did create the first anti-spyware program, which he's long ago handed off to others. Uh, but he certainly was, uh, was as usual, the, kind of the Paul Revere of security. The, the hackers are coming. The hackers are coming. Hello, Mr. Gibson. Oh, Leo. Great to be with you for our 141st episode. Oh, go ahead. Rub it in. Wow. He loves that because Twit's only at 140. He loves that. Yeah, I, I, need a bigger, <laughs> I need a bigger lead. So we'll, well just you'll keep get one. Don't worry. <laughs> Boy, it took two. It took. Uh, OK, that's right. Because we started we started a lot later than Twit did. I was going to say it took, you know, well, two and a half three years. years old. Yeah, probably did take like a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but yeah, but that's a good point is that Twit had a year on you. Exactly. So yeah. we've been catching up quickly. So watch out. Oh, man. Just shoot by. Oh, Leo. man. So uh, we're going to talk today about your visit to San Francisco and the RSA conference. Oh, there was just so well. I've got a ton of things to share with people. And uh, uh, it was a really, really interesting, worthwhile uh, trip, and, uh, and I, I got a lot of good feelings. I mean, largely, I've got to say that if if people listen to this podcast, they pretty much have a grip on everything going on. I mean, the whole show was identity and authentication. I mean, basically, you could just rename it the Identity and Authentication Show because, I mean, that's what everyone is all freaked out about. Well, that's you know, funny because that's what we've been talking about for a, the last few I, I know. I mean, it's it's like it's like um, it, it's. I had the sort of the same feeling that I had when we had uh, Dave Jevons on from um, uh, Iron Key. It's where you know he was talking about all these things, and they're all things that we had discussed in prior weeks of Security Now. So I was thinking, wow, isn't that cool? That I mean, we've covered all that. And similarly, I mean, there was nothing at the show that we haven't covered in yeah. in one form or another. Yeah. I mean, it's it was really nice. It's like, okay, if people are listening to this, they really are up to speed, which is not to say that I wouldn't highly recommend this RSA security conference for any of our listeners who are like like in the security business as um, you know, I mean it's it's not something I would expect random end users to need to go well, to. I think but, a lot of end users are very interested in this stuff. But they wouldn't and, go. You're right. They wouldn't go to RSA. Probably. Yeah. I will. But on the other hand, I mean, if you if you had a high end end listener who 
was really into security. It it wasn't it it overall it has sort of a corporate aim. I mean, it's you know it, it's aimed more at corporate solutions. You know, enterprise securing your networks, authenticating your hundred thousand employees, that sort of thing. But the the individual breakout tracks that you where you go and and listen to like small you know, either individuals or, or small groups of two or three talk about specific topics. And I'm going to talk about a couple of those um, in, uh, during this show that I found were really interesting. I mean, they're interesting to anybody. So, I mean, certainly our listenership. And anyway, it was it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I read one uh, uh, an interview with one uh, show goer who said, I didn't understand what one product on the show floor was meant to do. <laughs> so it also is probably fairly technical. Yeah. Um, I will say, like I said, it was, lar- so, you know, what I found walking around was it was largely everybody doing the same thing. I mean, there were everybody had tokens. Everybody had, you know, press the button and get authenticated stuff. I mean, so there was like it literally you just as you walked by the booths, it was the, you know, the industry's strongest authentication solution. OK, somehow everyone had that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little hype as well. And well, and, we've certainly and, known that in security. I mean, uh, hype and security go together. And, and And you'd stand there looking at the booth and which was a problem you know i had press credentials so they were all like oh come closer come it's like no 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 don't scan me because you know the badge was the badges were all rfid enabled and so you know you could get scanned and suddenly you'd be getting phone calls actually i got one this morning that was sort of annoying it's like i don't need anybody to Mm. you know sell me on this stuff i Mm. understand it but Mm -hmm. but standing at the booth you could not determine from any of the of the background of the booth, what their thing was. It was, you know, again, it was, you know, world-class strength, identity verification for your enterprise. It's like, okay, well, but that's what the people on either side of you are saying too. So, you know, it was, <laughs> and it was, it was huge. You know, I mean, um, oh, really? the last day of the last day of the show, I, I just dedicated to dealing with the with all the exhibit space, the the prior three days were all just, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, going from one of these um, interview uh, track breakout sessions to another, where I found really interesting things. And what was really bizarre is it was on that in the morning of that last day, in a really bizarre way, I found the one coolest new authentication gizmo of the show ah. it was there, there was this this woman just standing at the top of the escalator looking kind of forlorn and it turns out she's the inventor the founder and the ceo of this company in sweden that has that came up with something that is so cool that i can't wait to tell our listeners about it and but she she had a deal to be in one of the vendors booths. So she comes over from Sweden with a whole bunch of these things and heard this invention and they reneged oh. on, their, on their agreement. Oh. So, so, so like nothing had happened for her. And so here she was on the last day, just, you know, like looking for some way to get her message out. Um, and, you know, I, I walked by with my press badge and she sort of thought, Oh, 
Maybe this would work. Well, let me tell you. Yeah, I hope it's going to work. Oh, because good. Oh, good. This, she really deserves, yeah. and this, this, anyway, it is so cool and clever. I just love clever and new. And this is a multi-factor authentication solution that we've never talked about, and nobody else has it. Good. Well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Before we do, though, uh, we should mention uh, a few other things. Take care of a little bit of business. For instance, audible.com. We have a, as, as everyone knows, we have a wonderful sponsor. sponsor. Yes, audible.com is uh, the, 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 the uh, spoken word book choice. Now, I know Steve likes to read his ebooks, but boy, I'll tell you, if you listen to podcasts, you probably should consider audible.com. It's tens of thousands, I think it's 45,000 plus books in their library, 10 years in business. I've been a member for eight of those 10 years. And I was looking back at my library the other day, and I have hundreds, over 300 books in my library. 300 wonderful, wonderful reads. And I know Steve says they're listens, but I call them reads. And if you want to find out more about Audible, I encourage you to visit audiblepodcast.com slash security now, because we have a special deal for you. If you go there, you can get a credit toward a free book. This is for new members only. Sign up and get a credit toward a free book. There are lots of great choices. Right now I'm reading Dune. We talk a lot about science fiction on this show because I know uh, Steve's a sci-fi guy. I'm, I'm going to win him over one of these days. One of the things I like about the Dune version that they have on Audible.com, it's full unabridged version, which means it's, uh, let's see, uh, 21 hours and 8 minutes. It's, it's long. But what I really like about it is they've dramatized it. So it is... Uh, acted out. In other words, there are many different... Now, still, it's still read, but there are many different readers, so it's much easier to follow this way. And, and Dune is one of those books you probably want to have done this way because it's such a long, complex novel with such a large cast of characters. I think if they'd ever do Peter Hamilton's books in audio, which I hope someday they will, they'll have to do it this way because uh, it, it really makes it sing. I mean, you just... It, if you have never listened to an audiobook, you've got to try it. it. Is it the book gets into your brain in a way that nothing else does. Sometimes I'll I'll see a I'll think I I've read an audio listened to an audiobook and I've and I think I've seen a movie of the book. There's never been a movie made, but I saw it in my head. It's that visual. It's that real. Well, if you haven't tried it, please do. Go to audiblepodcast.com/security now. Check out our special deal: one free book. Dune would be a great, great choice 21 hours of perhaps the probably in the top 10 of all-time science fiction books hugo award winner for best uh, novel in 1966 nebula award winner for best novel um it is it, it brilliant and boy they've got some great narrators and if you've ever wondered how you pronounce arakeen or arrakis and paul atreides and all those and muadib and all those weird names now you'll know because they figured it all out for you audiblepodcast.com slash security now. We thank them for their support of security now. You know, and I have to say, Leo, I mean, I read a lot of sci-fi and, of, and I, alf, I also often watch the movies that, that correspond to the books. And I will never forget my disappointment with Jurassic Park, the movie. Oh, terrible. After, and after let's, reading. Let's not talk about the movie of Dune. Oh. Yes. And, and so my point is that, I mean, you get a much more full yes. and complete story from the novel than you get from the movieized version oh, of it. Yeah. I don't, I, there are a few, I mean, there are a few examples of really great 
uh, movies made out of science fiction books, but almost always they're so modified, they're nothing like the original novel. I'm thinking of the Philip K. Dick stuff, um, where they've made some good movies out of it, um, but <laughs> nothing like the original novel. Well, well, yeah, and I mean, I'm I would certainly go see Jurassic Park to see it. It's I mean, a good that's movie. something you absolutely yeah. want to see. But but there was some stuff that they left out yeah. that of the movie that was so important. And I, I was watching it going, Oh my goodness, no one's going to get this thing that they, right. You know, that they just right. sort of glazed over. It's I like, think, uh, a, I, you know, a lot of Michael Crichton stuff has been made into movies I and mean, most of them not so great. Although the Andromeda strain was a pretty good movie. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it was Michael Crichton that I think of because sphere, I think we've mentioned this before. Yeah. Sphere was a fantastic book right. and the movie was <laughs> just awful. <laughs> Well, by comparison. You know, well, again, Dune was I'm, just bad. I don't know if you ever saw the Dune movie. Just the worst piece of junk. And I think uh, what, what makes me sad about that. <laughs> what is, do you mean you don't know if I ever saw did the you Dune see, movie? You saw it, I there's guess. There's no movie I have not. There's no sci-fi <laughs> movie that I have not well, seen. Well, and then they remade it. I think uh, TB, TBS or somebody remade it. And I didn't see the remake because I was, had such a bitter taste in my mouth after the movie. But I just think it's, uh, I, I feel bad because somebody who hasn't read the book is going to look at the movie and say, oh, this is what it is. It's a Dino De Laurentiis sci-fi world. And it's not. It's really not. Oh, God. Oh, I still have horrors thinking about that movie. Did you like it? No, if, if you liked it, you can say so. Um, I've seen several of them. There have been several Dune movies, yeah. and they were good. But again, the book blows the movie yeah, away. Not even close. And you just, just yeah. don't get the same thing. Yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, I would agree. I think spending 20 hours listening to <sighs> Dune, you know, just soaked oh. in you know the the real original text that that, yeah. that that Herbert wrote was I mean that makes so much sense. Brilliant author, brilliant author. So uh, let's talk about RSA. Unless you have some, do you have some errata or anything you'd oh, like? Oh, I to follow? got a ton of security okay. stuff that okay. happened in the last week, and uh, 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 of course, a fun, interesting, sort of different uh, spinwright anecdote. I got a a letter we received, GRC received a a letter from Dan Stoddard uh, just last week. Uh, and he said, GRC, I know you get a lot of these letters of appreciation, but I must tell you how pleased I am with Spinrite. Earlier this week, a friend's laptop crashed. It would display the Windows boot up logo briefly, then blue screen. He called the laptop manufacturer and was told there was no way to recover his data. Frustrated, he asked me to take a look at it. I first tried running the Windows repair utility from the installation CD. No luck. Next, I booted a laptop from a BART PECD-ROM, but was not able to access the drive at all. Finally, I removed the hard drive from the laptop, connected it up to my PC with a hard drive to USB adapter. This, too, failed. Normally, at this point, I would have told my friend the hard drive was dead with no chance of recovering his files. But I've been listening to the Security Now netcast, for the past several months, and I've heard Steve read letters from Spinrite users, just like him, uh, Spinrite users, who have successfully recovered data from crashed hard drives. So I purchased a copy of Spinrite from the GRC website and within a few minutes downloaded it and had created a bootable Spinrite CD-ROM. I have to admit, I was some, somewhat skeptical at first, but as Spinrite went to work, I could see raw data from the hard drive flashing across the screen. I then realized the hard drive still contained my friend's data, and Spinrite was finding it. After a couple of hours, the process was complete. I rebooted the laptop, and to my immense relief, it booted up Windows normally with all his files intact. 
Needless to say, I am now a Spinrite believer. Thanks, Steve, for a great utility. Excellent. So just love those stories. Don't I, Just to any listeners who have Spinrite success stories, please don't let the fact that you know, I get a lot of them deter you from sending me yours because, you know, every one, I just, it's just so neat to. Sometimes to I think right that that's Steve's reward is not the financial reward. It's the, it's the emails he gets. He loves, I just love that. I just love it that it works. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in the last couple of weeks, um, a bunch of stuff has happened. First of all, probably maybe most important, there is a huge problem has been found in the clam AV system. Oh dear, that's not good. It's open source, as you know, very popular open source antivirus. The problem is that because it's open source, the bad guys have the same access to it as the good guys have. So there are proof of concept exploits out such that if you've got Clam AV filtering your email for malware, viruses, spam, whatever, you, you can send somebody using the current release of Clam AV a deliberate malformed piece of email. The email scanner has a buffer overflow oh, in it. Oh, interesting. Which means that, if, and for example, Clam AV is often run on email servers where it would be like scanning all the mail coming into a, to a corporate f- facility through the corporate server. So, so spam... And it'll it's as far as we know, it's not in the wild yet. Updates are available. So I wanted to make sure that anyone who thinks maybe even their corporation, if they think their corporation IT guys are using Clam AV, make sure they have updated to the latest. Because and, and you know, it's not that it's not the signatures they need to update. That's probably happening all the time. It's it's the the code itself has a problem such that just it receiving spam can take over the server. That's wild. So, that is wild. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, so, I mean, so people it, would, spammers would send out uh, 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 this, this message to everybody hoping that they're going to snag somebody who's running the clan of AV. Uh, any, exactly. Anybody who is not updated, who's running the, the, the pre most recent update would be vulnerable wow. and, and their own AV. I mean, you know, when, when, when you think about it, the last place you want a buffer overrun or 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 a similar sort of exploit is in your AV, yeah. which is you've added to make your system more secure. In the process, you've made it much more vulnerable. It's not the and by the way, it's not just Clam AV. I've heard these kinds of uh, similar uh, buffer overruns. Uh, with, yes, with uh, I, I don't almost mean all antiviruses seem to have this problem or have well, had this problem at one point or another. Remember my favorite quote from the RSA show is: "Information wants to be free." And code wants to be wrong. <laughs> the other thing you should pay attention to is that Clam AV is used as the engine for many other uh, third-party solutions. So you might want to check to see what the AV engine is in your yep. solution and update as needed. Also, well, the very original um, instant messaging program, ICQ, remember that in the old oh, days, Leo, yeah. when it oh, yeah. had like a little flower petal logo? Yeah. I think I was like... I was user like four 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 or something. Really? I, you know, I, wow. fi- I wanted to find out what it was and got on board very early. And uh, you know, it's not—it's really not for me. Got I'm not on board and off board. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, um, but there's a there's an important vulnerability that was found in ICQ. It's got a weird exploit. Um, it, it's in the status display 
portion that shows like, you know, somebody remote that is in your friends list is online or offline. Well, it turns out if their machine were to send you a malicious status report on them, that could take over your machine. So it's got the potential for creating a flash worm that would go through the ICQ system Basically, getting into someone's machine and then sending out a malformed status to everybody they're connected to, which would then jump it to all of those machines, and then all of them would do the same. So you could imagine like a flash worm that would just flash through the ICQ network and take over mm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So you, I don't know whether ICQ updates itself automatically. You definitely want to make sure if you're an ICQ user – that you fix that because you don't want to be part of that flash no, when that happens. Never. That would be bad. Um, the other big news is all the browsers have had updates since we last talked. Uh, Firefox is now at 2.0.0.14. Um, I had been using 13 for a while, so it's now at 14. Um, and that fixed some important updates. Uh, Safari, both Windows and Mac versions, are now at 3.1.1, and there were some port, some important things fixed in them. And Opera is now just went from from 9.26 to 9.27. Um, and I've got to say, I'm liking Opera a lot, Leo. I'm. It's got a whole bunch of features that you only discover like after you've had it for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I right clicked on a page. And on the menu was the option of blocking, selectively blocking content, where like you could then click on things on the page that you wanted it to block, like ads and things, and it would automatically add those domains to a to a block list. And it's like, wow, and, you know, it's got good, and it's got a a built-in download manager, and anyway, just I mean, just a whole ton of features that I just as I use it more and more, you know, I'm I'm doing a bunch of work with a bunch of browsers on a topic that we'll be talking about here in maybe another month. Yeah. It's taking longer than I expected, but then everything I do does. Um, but it's going to end up being very comprehensive. So um, I've, I've been using Opera and Firefox and Safari, and and uh, Opera's got some neat features. Firefox version 3 is in, is in beta and is looking nice and stable. I loaded... Uh, the Windows version of Safari, just because there is one. I didn't install it on my machine. It's in a VM. And I have to say, I mean, it looks identical to the Mac Safari, uh, except you can grab any edge of the window and drag it, Mm. which is so nice, just Mm -hmm. like Windows. It's like, I don't know why the Mac just refuses to do that. It just, it's a constant annoyance to me, as you know. But um, also, uh, Windows XP Service Pack 3 is almost ready um microsoft has said that they will make it available through um windows update on april 29th so um what i guess that's going to be next tuesday uh which will be wonderful um for those of us who set up windows xp from time to time i mean i i I have it for example running in my vms that i'm running these various browsers on and it's like, oh my goodness! Thank God you can clone VMs, so you don't have to, you know, re-upgrade every version of XP that you install. Uh, but going to Service Pack Three will save us about a hundred plus patches, so that will be very nice. Hallelujah! 
It's yeah. not a. It's not a. Uh, unlike Service Pack One for Vista, it doesn't change the functionality anyway. It's just a roll up of patches. Uh, yeah, is that no? the case? Um, I, I you know I meant to look to see. I'm trying to remember whether I read that there was some change. I might be thinking instead of Service Pack One. For Service Vista. Pack One for Vista does change a lot of stuff. I, I don't. You know what? I'll ask Paul Thorat. Uh, and I kind of we'll think maybe it, it does a little something. I can't. Okay. I can't really remember. Okay, good. That's good. I'll find out. Listen to Windows Weekly tomorrow. There you go. Paul will know. And uh, the last little bit of news is not really slight like security trauma, except that, well, it, it is for the Hotmail people. It turns out that there's a botnet now that has a 10 to 15% success rate of, of cutting through Hotmail's CAPTCHA protection. Wow. And of course, we've talked about CAPTCHA a lot because it's a cool technology. The, you know, the idea is, you know, are you know, are you human? I think was the name of our podcast. Right. So we talked all about CAPTCHA, um, and, and of course, the problem is a botnet has, you know, hundreds, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of machines in it, and botnets are now being used as as a preferred spam generator because it makes it impossible to blacklist the sender's IP because you've got 10,000 of them mm-hmm. instead of it like coming from one server. So what what the botnets do is they would love to be able to create a Hotmail account so that rather than sending email just from their own IP, they're they create a Hotmail account and then use the browser interface to put their mail into Hotmail because, you know, there are obviously, who knows, hundreds of thousands of legitimate Hotmail accounts. And that means that you cannot block by Hotmail.com. You've got to, huh. you know, you've got to do more. So, but the point is that even having as low as a 10 to 15% success rate, that would annoy a user, but the bot doesn't care. It just, I mean, you know, it, it you know, essentially that that means that it's going to try eight times and it's going to get through, you know, on the, you know, between eight and nine, every eight and nine times, it's going to be able to to create a new account and use it until Hotmail decides that it's evil and shuts it down. Um, and also you, researchers in the UK have published a paper describing their automated approach for breaking Hotmail's CAPTCHA that has a 60% success wow. rate. So more than half the time, they're able to crack Hotmail's CAPTCHA. Does, so I think the, the Hotmail guys, or you know, Microsoft, of course, owns Hotmail now, they're going to have to uh, go back to the drawing board and come up with wow. a, a better CAPTCHA solution because it's just it's not doing the job anymore. I mean, come on. <laughs> a lot of spam comes from Hotmail and Gmail and all of these free accounts, uh, yeah. whether, they're, whether they're using automated breaking tools or not. I presume that's what you mean when you're saying 60% success rate. They're talking about some sort of computer program that can figure out what the CAPTCHA is. Yep, which of course is what captures are supposed to prevent. Right, 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 right. Not doing that very well. Those bots, they're everywhere. Spam they is get, just such is such a problem. It's just not getting any better. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, and when it's not, I mean, it used to be original spam was just you know annoying commercial stuff. You know, you know, home mortgages and and various organ enlargements and <laughs> right and now and, it's you know yeah. You know, and now it's malicious. Right. I mean, it, it's take over your computer when right. you click the link by mistake, or in some cases, uh, not even having to to take any action at all. So it's, I mean, it's it's real malware that is being sprayed. You know, instead of just annoying advertisements. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, there we go. That's the news. Is that's that, the news. That's the news across the nation. Um, okay, so RSA, of course, you know we've talked about RSA a lot. Uh, RSA Corporation uh, had the early, what well, well, was the patent holder, thanks to its founders, RS and A, stand for Rivest, Shamir, and Adelman, uh, who, who, who did the original public key work and have a whole bunch of patents which have since expired because uh, that was more than 17 years ago, the life of, of patents. So that stuff is all out in the public domain now. But, you know, they're, they're, they're a, a, a big, strong security company that offers all kinds of, of great features. And they produce an annual show um, in San Francisco, the RSA Security Conference, um, although the, the formal name is RSA Conference 2008. Um, it was a fantastic show. I mean, it, it was really well put together. I, I'm just very impressed with the job they do. Now, I'm tempted to end the podcast now. <laughs> what? <laughs> Af- after telling our listeners they have got to go see the keynotes. The, Are they online? Uh, They're all online? Yes. Now, I created a short URL just for everybody listening. Um because the big one is long and nasty. Um, I, we, we will have links on your show notes and on GRCs to the page of the keynotes, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Now, not all of them were fantastic, but I'm, so I'm going to recommend some, and I'll put those on my page also, and Dane can, can get them from my page, Leo, so that, you, right. so, so that you have them. Um, so it's snipurl, S-N-I-P-U-R-L.com, slash rsa 2008 oh that was so, easy <laughs> yep snipurl.com why don't you type it in right now just to I verify that it. it's, well, okay snipurl.com slash rsa 2008 that will take you to their their page where we can find all the keynotes you can you they're available in windows media format or in flash and now, the it also says view interactive webcast what does that mean uh, in, you can view the video uh, or you can view an interactive webcast okay well that's okay well that's what i was about to say was it, it's that thing that comes up in flash click on one of those yeah and i'm watching it right now the up. opening ceremony so it's got a whole interface you've got the video yes you've got the slide i guess these are the slides from the uh that were shown during the presentation. Oh, that's cool. So you can actually oh, watch their... Oh, this is a nice way to do it. Oh, it's beautiful, Leo. And over down in the lower left, you you, you, you can see the four days. And when you click on one of those, it shows you the, the, the keynotes. Okay, so the, 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 the 1970s. title of this year's show was... It was all about Alan Turing, who we've talked about. Of course, the famous cryptographer, mathematician who did the Turing test, the Turing machine, who, who, um, who cracked the Enigma cipher um, using uh, you know, his, his math and, and technology. And so Turing lives with sort of their whole theme, which, which was sort of laced through the whole show. Right. Um, so the opening ceremony is worth watching the first half where they talk about touring because it was just sort of interesting. And of course, we've, we've talked we've about them extensively. Yeah, yeah. The second half is the dance number. What? <laughs> There's a security dance number? Oh, goodness. They took the whole, 
the old remember the the brick house uh yeah she's a uh, brick she's a the brick commodores. house yeah yeah house. the commodores right yeah and they re-lyricsed it into uh it's a bot net jeez <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. Oh, goodness. Why, so, why, why, why would they do so that? <laughs> I want to make sure everyone knows I am not suggesting that they listen to do the second half around of for the, the opening oh, ceremony. Now you know they will. Uh, well, the, yeah. I mean, get, you can get a taste for it, but believe, but believe me, it doesn't get any better once it, it starts. It was just... Let me uh, just play. I'm going to make them listen to it. Oh, that's just ridiculous. And they've got a whole group of people up there were you there for she's, that oh yeah oh yeah were she's you were you groaning that <laughs> and they had the you know and, and because it was sort of hurt hard to hear they had subtitles for the whole thing Great. going on at the same. i was like oh goodness so yeah that was that that kicked off the show and i thought well okay uh, we'll see what how the this security goes. pros in the audience uh how were they reacting to that were um, they enjoying it were they digging it were they getting down it was, you know, I mean, it was lighthearted and spirited and fun. And uh, I was like, okay, this is what I paid for. The good news <laughs> is that's not what you paid for. Okay. There was tons, tons of, of really high quality content. Uh, okay. So John Thompson of Symantec, I absolutely recommend his keynote. He brings out their their guy who's in charge of malicious software. And unfortunately, they try to do a little bit of canned humor that just doesn't work in yeah. this setting. But I, I know that our listeners will be fascinated by their statistics. And, and it was it was his comment. I couldn't remember who said it, but I but I watched it again. Actually, I, I, I ran through several of these again because, you know, in order to prepare my recommendations. And it was it was Symantec that that has the numbers that showed there is more malicious software now being that is is. Uh, that is that users are encountering than good. And so that, so it was, it was in that presentation where, you know, their numbers that they have this worldwide, this global network, which is monitoring malware and viruses and spyware and everything. And so end users are now coming in contact with more bad software than good software. And it was this year, apparently, that that tipped, that scale tipped over to that side. Yeah. So John Thompson's semantic presentation, I really recommend. Now, my, okay, I've got two favorites. The the panel discussion at the uh, end of the first day, um, uh, April 8th, which was Tuesday, was the cryptographer's panel. And, you know, we've talked about Whit Diffie. And Dick Hellman of the Diffie-Hellman Key Exchange. And, of course, Ron Rives was one of the founders of, of RSA. Um, I actually knew Diffie and Hellman back in the early 70s when I was, uh, when I was at the Stanford uh, University's AI lab uh, during the summers. I, I got a job there in the summers. They were – I mean these guys were there doing – their early Stanford hmm. crypto stuff. Hmm. So it was fun to see them again, and, and I chatted with them. Um, their panel is great, and Whit Diffie is this wonderful, white-bearded, long hair. I mean, he's exactly what you want in your cryptographer. Yeah. Um, he was just tremendous and very funny. I uh, had lots of little quips and things. I think Again, I think our listeners will really find it interesting. Just, I mean, here, here are the guys that founded the crypto industry, you know, talking to you for 45 yeah, minutes yeah. Uh, about things that they think are important and, and what's going on. And one of the things 
I don't remember. I think it might have been Rivest. One of his points was, I thought it was interesting. He said, humans do a bad job of judging low probability events. That is to say, um, uh, it might have been Hellman now that I think of it. Anyway, uh, you know, our listeners can listen to the keynote. Um, but the the point was things that that tend to ha- happen very seldom, we we make the mistake of confusing that with never. Right. And I mean, to to our detriment. Right. Um, I mean, so uh, you know, you you might argue that you know something like the chance of terrorists commandeering commercial airliners and doing evil with them, you know, it's like, oh, what's the chance of that? Well, it's not zero, and we found out on September 11th. Well, I'll give you another example. People uh, forget that uh, uh, New York City is actually very earthquake-prone. It's just there hasn't been an earthquake there in a couple of hundred years, so people figure, ah, it's never going to happen. But uh, And if it does, it's not going to be a pretty sight. And, that, and that's a, a great example, Leo, yeah, is that, yeah. yes, I mean, we – and it's interesting because, I mean, we've talked about how people are just bad with statistics. There's something – whatever it is, the way our brain is wired, and, and actually the way our brain is wired was my other very favorite keynote uh, because a oh, friend of Jeff ours – Jeff Hawkins, yeah. Yep, yeah. Uh, on Wednesday. But anyway, so so it turns out that the way we're wired, we just don't do well with statistics. Something right, about right. us, about humans, we just don't – we don't, we don't get statistics yeah. and and one critically um bad way not to get it is to confuse low probability with zero probability <laughs> um anyway so so again that cryptographer's panel discussion on on April 8th Tuesday what is absolutely worth watching um and then my other favorite was Jeff Hawkins who we've talked about in fact on intelligence is the book he he wrote recently and that was one of our um audible you recommendations bet. at some point yep. um and, and this of course is the book that talks about the work he's done he, Jeff to remind our listeners is the founder of Palm and Handspring and Numenta which is his company which is working on software to model to, to essentially to solve problems in the way that the human brain does by modeling the exact neurological functioning of the brain he's got this this technology called HTM hierarchical temporal temporal memory where he he basically they are building in software exactly what I mean, it, they're they're exactly modeling in software the way the brain is neurologically wired, and so they're they're doing it much more closely than uh, than the old neural networks did, where you just sort of basically had a bunch of goo, you know, neurons wired up in software, and you you threw things at it, and they sort of learned. Here, because they're modeling the brain closely, they're they're getting. Well, much higher quality results. The cool thing about his keynote is first you get to see him, and he's kind of a neat guy, and he's 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 odd and neat. Uh, but he also has um, really good results that he shows. You've got diagrams of his stuff. He shows pictures. He, he shows, for example, he gives examples of the kind of photos uh, they're they're doing. Photograph recognition is the way they're. They're developing their te- technology now, and all the technology is downloadable from Numenta. 
so you can get this and play with it yourself. And he, and he shows some phenomenal results where they were training um, one of their models on image recognition, showing them you know pictures of boats and cats and dogs and animals and all kinds of random stuff, and then showing the kinds of things that this that this technology of theirs can then correctly recognize. Where I mean, even I'm looking at it going, well, okay. That's a boat, but how the hell could it possibly know that? (laughs) I mean, it's really impressive. So here, I mean, for free, our listeners can watch this keynote and see this for 45 minutes. And I I absolutely highly recommend it. Um, uh, Craig Mundy uh, from Microsoft, also back on Tuesday, uh, had a really interesting discussion with their um, Christopher Leach is their chief information security officer, and so they're talking about perfect identity versus perfect privacy, security versus privacy. Uh, their, their 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 theme is end to end trust, and so basically here's Microsoft talking. I mean, like the guys at the top talking about where Microsoft is and what they're working on and what they're thinking, and I. I highly recommend that as well. Very useful and, stuff, yeah. And, and and if anyone's curious to see Michael Chertoff, he was added late to the program. Um, that is a few days, I think it was, maybe about a week before. Uh, he's, of course, uh, the, the you know secretary, Michael Chertoff, the, the head of our Department of Homeland Security uh, for the U.S. And so he spends about 45 minutes talking about their stuff hmm. and what's important hmm. and what's going on. So, I mean, just... Really, really great, great information, which is why I said I'm tempted to just end the podcast now. <laughs> but before just... you do, <laughs> you might, I would like to know. I mean, yes, we can all go and look at those videos and we can, you know, it's not, I'm thrilled that they did that. I think that if more conferences did that, yeah, maybe there'd be lower attendance. I'm sure that's what they're worried about. But, but, but boy, they'd sure get the word out. And I bet you people would look at that and say, boy, I want to be there next time. I, well, I don't want to it... miss that. Yes, and again, I want I want to say that um, you know I, I will I will work to give our listeners some note some notice next before next year's conference in case there are people who look at this stuff and think, wow, you know, I really want to be part of that or I want to attend. I mean, there was there was pretty much on the on the exhibit space was hundred percent enterprise targeted right. con- content, but the individual breakout sessions, there were, I think there were 14 different tracks. And so at every, in every hour, there were 14 things going on. And I mean, I needed five of me in order yeah. to, to see them all. Well, good. I had so you can watch them online. I think that's really great. Uh, well, no, those you cannot. Oh, you can't. Uh, no, only the keynotes. I wish um, they'd put the, those online, too. Well, they were all being recorded, okay. but the access is restricted. So only people who had who had access to them at the show are able to download them. But you are able to. So, for example, I could get them and listen to the ones that I missed. Yes, I get it. But I mean, but I guess my I guess my point is that, I mean, there was so much good stuff happening all in parallel that. I was having a hard time hour by hour scheduling myself, choosing this over that. Which one do I really want to see more? Um, so one that I, that I stumbled on on Wednesday, uh, it was – it had like a strange name. It was uh, 
you know, securing the internet with strong authentication or something like that. And I'm going, okay, well, that's good. I definitely want to know what that's about. Turns out it was all about something we had talked about before, which is EV certs, extended validation certificates. And I was really pleased to see that the panel is as upset as I am about the proliferation of certificate authorities. Um, our, our, our old-time listeners will remember how I was ranting, uh, perhaps a little more than necessary, but still, uh, over um, discovering recently when I, when I went um, and looked at uh, IE's list of qualified certificate authorities, that this list had just exploded since I had looked at it many years ago. I think, you know, once upon a time, there was maybe 11 certificate authorities, meaning that there were 11 organizations that were able to sign SSL certificates. Well, the list has just gone insane. And my argument was, the problem is from a, from a security standpoint, even though, you know, everyone ought to have the right to create a, 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 to, to, to become a certificate authority from a security standpoint, just, I mean, common sense tells you that the more of those there are, the greater the chance of a mistake. And, you know, mistakes have been made. The, you know, the, the, the famous one, of course, was a bad, uh, um, somebody malicious got a Microsoft certificate. And so it's like, oops, uh, you know, that was revoked and, and, Everyone's recovered from that, but I mean, there that's have important been... to remember. Though a certificate doesn't guarantee safety; it just it just means it's revocable if it turns out somebody's misbehaving. Well, okay, it so guarantees what has identity. Ha- well, what has happened is the standards have been lowered over time, so that, for example, and I, I was curious about that. I I went over to GoDaddy just thinking, okay, well, you know, these guys are sort of, you know, you know, the budget. The, the the budget um, uh, domain name guys right. and they offer certificates. Well, they they literally say, here's a I don't remember what the numbers were, but it's like forty nine dollars or thirty nine dollars or something for an SSL certificate that just verifies your domain. So what they're doing is they're doing domain validation only, nothing else. Right. So so now. All an SSL certificate really means is that you are you're connected to the domain that you that you think you're connected to, but it says nothing about who owns that domain. Mm, interesting. And so, I mean, no, I'm paying. Um, what am I paying? I'm paying five hundred dollars a year. Uh, although I think I buy three years at a time to get. I mean, because I, I, I it bugs me, but right. but. But I, I, I buy VeriSign certificates. You know, GRC is 100% VeriSign. And so for three years, it's $1,295. But I have to go through some hoops. I mean, they check out my DNB. They, they, we, we, we do some faxing. Uh, Sue, uh, my office manager, gets a phone call. Good. I mean, so you know, there's, there's some wealth. But the problem is there's nothing to say that I have a VeriSign certificate right. or a GoDaddy. Right. I mean, both gives you the same SSL connection and GoDaddy's $39 certificate or $29.95 or something. I mean, you know, that gives you the lock on your browser window, even oh, though boy. 
it doesn't mean nearly as much. So that's as- interesting. Somebody must have said to go. Somebody, some uh, master server or certificates authority must have said to GoDaddy, it's okay to do this, right? No, GoDaddy is a CA. They are. They're, well, yes. who gave them the right to be a CA? Well, look through the CA list, Leo. I won't. I won't. I know the Hong Kong post office. I know. I know. (laughs) So, so who 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 is it that uh, awards this ability? Well, it's okay. Each browser manufacturer has their has you know it's the browser that contains the master list of CAs. So you know Fox uh, uh, Fox Pro Firefox Firefox brings one. Uh, Opera has theirs, Safari has theirs, IE has theirs. However, you know, they pretty much all have to have the same ones that everybody has because, you know, anybody who's issuing SSL certificates to websites, you, you know, their browser has to be able to get a secure connection to that website or it puts right. their browser at a competitive disadvantage to... Well, and of course, GoDaddy's I, huge, so uh, they've probably yeah. got to do it, but... Shouldn't there be some standard for what uh, a certificate authority requires? Well, and thus, thank you, Leo, you, we've walked right into what EV certificates are. Uh, First of all, they are uh, a lot more expensive. Yeah. They are double the price uh, in the case of VeriSign. Now, once again, GoDaddy does offer much less expensive, actually half price. For example, a one-year VeriSign EV certificate is nine ninety five a thousand dollars, two years is seventeen ninety. So you get a discount as as typical with domain names or anything like this. GoDaddy's one year EV cert is half that price. It's five hundred dollars. Actually, it's forty nine ninety nine ninety nine ninety nine ninety nine, um, and uh, their two year cert is eight hundred dollars. Okay, so, so they're half price. So they're half price. Do they do the but, same thing? Is the EV certification required? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. There is a, there is a formal document that specifies what every certificate authority has to do in order to be able to issue in order to be able to issue EV certs and any certificate authority that short circuits that process that doesn't go through the level of validation required um, is at risk of having their 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 CA their EV uh, their their ability to set the EV bit essentially I mean this is just one bit you know in in, in a standard uh, X.509 SSL certificate all it is is a bit right but but they will have that revoked if they start issuing these things cavalierly okay. so right. now get this apparently whatever it is you're put through to get one. And and frankly, I'm so sold on this, much as I hate the idea of having to pay the price, I'm going to. Um, so I'll know what it takes at some point. But apparently it can take up to three months wow. to, to qualify. You you have to, I mean, you I don't know if it's a DNA test and you send them blood <laughs> or, but, but, but I mean, they. I mean, I, I. My eyes glazed over, and I'm thinking, God, I hope I will be able to yeah, get one. Of no these. kidding. Because I mean, they they verify that the people, the identities of the people who control the domain, who control the server. Who, you you. I mean, there's all this stuff you go through. So it's not just a domain name. It is. I mean, they're really validating the company, the corporate entity, Good. the ownership, the management, the structure, the, the, the executives, 
I mean, it is it is seriously rigorous. Now, to give you some sense of the relative number of these, first of all, for a long time, IE, IE7 was the first Microsoft browser that supported extended validation. And so um, there, there wasn't a, a big pull for it. So at this point today, the number I heard quoted was that 5,000 EV certs have been issued. Now, in, now, in IE7, if I go to if I go to an EV certified site, does it look different? Is there some way for oh, me to know? Oh, that's what's so wonderful about it. That's why I have to have it. Yes, Leo, go to you could go to PayPal or you could go to VeriSign. So for example, https colon slash slash www.verisign.com. That'll give you a secure connection. And under IE7 and Firefox 3 and Opera 9.5, which is not out yet, but at, but that's in beta. Um, so EV cert at the browser level is spreading beyond IE, and you'll see that the bar turns green, mm-hmm. and on the right-hand side, it identifies the company, the corporate entity yeah, behind it, that's because that's what the EV certificate is you know, that it's, it's what you've, you've paid for. I mean, and the reason they're getting twice the money is, first of all, they can. But they, I mean, they are really doing some serious work in order to, I mean, you know, I guess at each end, I'm doing work and they're doing work in order for me to prove to VeriSign that I am who I am. So, um, but, but the point is, how many times have we said, okay, right click on the page, go to page properties, click on certificates, get the certificate, right. look at the yeah. chain. You don't have to, to do you know, that anymore. Exactly. Now, I have seen studies that say that consumers have no idea (laughs) between, I mean, they'll look at the green bar and go, oh, that's pretty. That's that's today, Leo. I mean, this is, I, I, I. We've got to raise awareness here. Well, what's happened is the, the, that SSL certificates are so now, are now so easy and cheap to, uh, to, to afford if all you're doing is protecting your domain name that, that phishing sites are buying them from GoDaddy. Yeah. Exactly, because, oh, look, there's a lock on my right, browser. This safe. must be secure. It must be uh, my bank. Right. Despite and the fact so, it says hacker.com. Exactly. So, I mean, we know that consumers are freaked out about online commerce, about online banking, about online purchasing, about online everything having right. to do with, with you know their credentials and their money. And so this is new, but this is going to happen. I mean, I'm... I, I, you know, I mean, I've known about EV search. We've talked about it before. I wasn't sold until I really thought about it. And frankly, it was this presentation. Uh, the the guy in charge of security from Mozilla was one of the guys on the panel. One of the other guys was the guy I mentioned who was at CERN who misspelled referrer right. in the original right. HTTP specification. It only has one R in the middle instead of two, the way he spelled it. Um, and so, I mean, these are, you know, these are serious, good guys who are, who are talking about, you know, this is why we've had to do this, is that SSL certificates got to the point where they meant nothing because there weren't these standards in place. I mean, it was like, you're supposed to do this stuff. Well, that just got weakened over time. So we have to, we absolutely want to, want to hope, need to hope that the same will not happen with this, but I mean, everyone understands the mistake that was made. And so, you know, EV certs, I, I'm convinced 
um, you know, I, I'm thinking, in fact, of switching GRC over 100% to SSL. That is, just make all of our connections SSL. Yeah. Since since there's just it's it's just a warm fuzzy thing, and I like the idea of you know, I mean, especially GRC being all about security. Um, uh, of us just having you know unsniffable connections 100% of the time. You know who's not? Amazon.com. Yeah, I know. And I thought eBay would be too, but but they're not. Hmm. Um, and PayPal, but PayPal is. So, but you know, but, but Leo, only a thousand certi- uh, EV certs right. have, have been sold yet. So it's cl- well. Oh, I, I I forgot to say, as opposed to eight hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> generic ssl wow. certificates now i'm using all my different browsers to see who's supporting it who <laughs> which sites are doing it which sites are not doing it and then we've got to get the word out to consumers uh that this exists i'm sure well it'll what, what'll happen is they'll begin to sense it you, you'll begin the to green see does it. jump out at you it really yes. does the the green bar and i love the fact that they oh in ie7 if you Right, I'm sorry. If you left click on the name of the company, it pops up in a window that says, you know, Verisign has verified the, uh, the that this is this company. So I mean, they're they're pushing it to the next level, saying, okay, we're going to give you a certificate that we're really going to stand behind. We Verisign, for example. So you know, we're going to do the work to to make you prove that you who you that you are who you are that this is a corporate entity. Of you know, of 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 um of in good standing that that owns this certificate, such that when you click on this, we're going to be making that that warranty to the end user. Right, right. Anyway, it's going to end up being very important. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. I think so. It's too bad. Uh, of all the major browsers, uh, Apple Safari is the only that isn't currently supporting it. Firefox three, as you said, Opera nine, yep. and uh, IE seven all do. And I don't know why Safari hasn't. Well, again, there's a bit of a chicken and egg. I'm sure you remember back in the beginning of the web, people were sure it wasn't going to take off. Right. Because they said, well, but why are people going to have websites when there's no users? And why are there going to be users if there are no websites? Right. Well, that problem solved itself, obviously. So the same thing is going to happen here. This is an important, good thing that is going to going to. I think go a long way to strengthen regular end user consumer. And so what will happen is people won't use Safari when they want the EV certification, if they have a browser that lets them know. And so Safari will have to do it. And other high-end websites that that are suddenly, you know, not green when, when an, an increasing number of sites are green – the, well, the ones that aren't are going to have to belly up to the bar, also. Right. So it'll, you know, there will be pressure on. Oh, be you pressure, bet. You bet. There'll be pressure on Safari to join the other browsers. There'll be pressure on non-EV sites to join the, the, the you know, the EV parade. And before long, it'll just be, you know, there will still be twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, and I'm gonna, you know, somebody like me is gonna do that. I'm not. Uh, there's no. Well, if I ever, I, do, I don't. I'm not at SSL at all. Right, but uh, there's I'm not doing e-commerce, so there's no. I mean, I'm not going to spend two thousand dollars for a cert. It does hurt. Yeah, <laughs> it does yeah. hurt. Just just for some bits. Thank you for this little pile of bits. Well, I you understand know, why I, they charge that much. If they're doing that much validation, if they're actually calling you and doing all that stuff, that's expensive. I can understand that. I don't know if it's yeah, that and, expensive. And, and similarly, you can understand why GoDaddy 
says, you know, hey, twenty nine ninety five, you can have a cert. You know, we're yeah. not we're not saying anything other than, gee, it's www.mysightoftheday.com. Right. That's all we're going to do. But if you want a padlock, you can have one. And what that does, well, of course, it gives you that, SSL though too. It, it exactly it it gives you SSL, which is a good thing, and it no longer costs a lot. Right. And that's and that's I mean uh, that uh, for that alone, I think it's worthwhile. Um, you know, just to encrypt your transaction with websites. If everybody did this, we wouldn't have to worry about VPNs and all this stuff because you'd always be encrypted as you surf. Right. And, you know, and, and email clients are now supporting SSL connections. So that would allow, I mean, it makes it very simple to, to keep things encrypted. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's no longer a big, huge expense to do so. Now, let me just, uh, we've talked about some of the things you saw at, at RSA, and I think that sounds like it was a great conference, but just overall, what's your sense of it? Are we winning the battle uh, against bad guys? <laughs> no. Uh, the, the overall sense I got from listening to the keynotes, from attending all of the, well, as many of the of the individual tracks as I was able to, as I said, I wish there were five of me, um, there was this sense of sort of doom and gloom. It, it was like, you know, it's like we're losing. It's, you know, the problem is, as we've talked about before, the net was designed for sharing. It was not designed for securing. It was designed to be open and sharing. You know, you put up web pages and everyone can look at it. I mean, and so, so here we are trying to come along later and, and, and fix the, the, the fundamental lack of security. And similarly, I mean, you know, it's, we, uh, there were the, one of my other favorite quotes. Um, and I don't remember, I think this might've been from the semantic keynote was something that really stuck with me. They, they were saying, do not protect the network, protect the information. And I thought that was an interesting distinction because the sense I got was that our, our much reviled DRM, which has to, up to now been used by, by commercial publishers to, to lock and control what's done with their content. I could almost foresee a day when, when DRM is sort of ubiquitous and is as useful and used by end users as it is hmm. by, by commercial publishers. Hmm. The idea being that, you know, I've talked, for example, about the files on my, on my little key ring and how I'm using TrueCrypt in order to protect them. Right. But the problem is, um, you know, you need to have a- admin rights, and that's why the Iron Key solution uh, has, has some uh, compelling advantages because you don't need an, to be an admin in order to get, be able to unlock your Iron Key. But imagine if, if all files had DRM. I mean, if everything the computer produced, if, if that was fund- a fundamental part of a, even a text file, there was just it was everything was in some kind of securable wrapper, so that that just becomes ubiquitous. I mean, we are so far away from there today that I can't even think about how we get there. But and and you don't want to think about how we get there. But I mean, it's just like, doesn't that make sense? And then it's you don't have network perimeters. You don't have this problem of oh crap, somebody got in and now what can they do? Because you know, you just open your door and say, come on in. We're, you know, all of our files are individually protected right. in using some amazing new alien technology that we don't have yet. Well, encryption. 
Yeah, some yeah, I mean, but it's yeah, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that so, I you know sometimes it, I think that these proclamations might be self serving, but it it seems like it would be easier to protect the data than to protect the network. Much ooh, easier. I think it's much harder actually. Oh really? Oh yeah. I mean, well, well then why not just protect the network? Because it doesn't do the job. We're trying to protect the network and we're failing. Right. And and so the idea be well and I guess that's what I mean by it's easier to protect the well, data. Yes. <laughs> if you can't do it, then well, it's not and, that easy. And for example, here I am in my fortress of solitude, as as you frequently or fortress of security or something. Yeah. And I mean I'm behind a ton of protection. Right. So that's neat. But when I walk out of the house, I've got my files on my on my thumb right. drive on my key ring. Now I'm outside of my network. And so now that's not protected. And so I just, I just, I mean, the, the kernel of the concept, I'm not saying, I mean, Symantec's not, not selling, they don't have it either. But I just, I sort of got this interesting is like, you know, protect the information, meaning that this notion of ownership and authentication and rights, you know, the idea of digital rights being useful to end users and part of our experience, part of our use of information so that, I mean, again, we are so far away from having that. It it just makes your eyes cross because we're talking about a whole nother infrastructure and everyone having public and private keys and, or whatever. I mean, I don't even know how we do this, but, but it's like, wow, you know, that's the answer. I mean, it's impossible, but that's the answer is that, fundamentally when we create files the files protect themselves and somehow they know who's supposed to be able to open them to get the information out of them yeah it's just an interesting idea seems like maybe do both attempt to protect the network and protect your data it's just well no one's yes and i was just being facetious when i said you know that everyone's gonna you know take their firewalls off and just say oh come on in because let's do both why not (laughs) (laughs) what the heck but 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 I have to say, and again, speaking of being self-serving, the you know we're at the RSA conference 2008, so it's all about solutions right. for security. Right. So yes, okay, we're trying to promote security, but but there 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 was this sense of a cloud. I agree. A, I feel it too. I mean, well, and end users feel it. Yeah. Like. Well, this is all becoming too hard to use and, and security and multi-factors. And I need, you know, all these things that I'm afraid to do stuff online. And, and ultimately it fails. You can't well, really I be safe. I don't think I mentioned that uh, I've had to cancel my, my most used online credit card. Oh, boy. Three, three weeks ago, it got it got out of it, it's some site that I use yeah. as careful as I am, as I try to use PayPal to, to min- and, and Google, uh, Google, what's Google thing? Google, Google, uh, Google, Google checkout, Google checkout, Google, yeah. Google checkout. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to use those to minimize the, you know, the, how many different websites I give my credit card information to, but you know, there's lots of sites that don't take PayPal and don't take Google. I mean, my own, for example, um, and so somehow I, I was I, I got a call from a uh, from a robot on on the phone saying please hold for yeah, security. Yeah, no, we did talk about this last week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, and so I was like, okay, well, so you know, there again, you know, I mean, again, my, my card was protected by the company that blocked those. It was sharp enough to block them, 
Um, but you know, that's a, that's an example of what's happened, what happens to some consumers. I mean, so this, you know, this kind of secured information gets loose and we look at spam and that's completely out of control. And as you said, now as a security hazard, as much as anything else, I mean, it just doesn't feel like we're gaining on these guys. It feels like they're gaining on us and it's really frustrating because they're jerks. And the bad, I think at this point you, it would be fair to say that the bad guys are winning. (sighs) Oh. You know, I mean, it's, excuse me, I mean, obviously this is, everybody knows this, but it's just, you know, you're taking something really incredible, really powerful, really useful, and just trashing it for no real good reason, just so you can make a little extra money. You know, I mean, it just frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah, I, I have to say, Leo, my sense is we're going to win. I, I think, I mean, it, we got a long way to go because we, we, we the good guys, we started out nowhere with technology that was you know you know operating systems where security wasn't you know network security wasn't an issue because there was no network you know they were they were you know standalone computers that got stuck onto the net and of course we all know the story of windows and how long it took to get a firewall in windows it was on by default i mean it took until service pack 2 of xp you know the current service pack of xp not even an old service pack of right. XP. So, right. I mean, it, it it's taken a long, long time. But, but, uh, you know, there will be certainly there will always be problems. But I think we're going to get authentication. We're going to get you know, well, well, for example, when everybody has SSL certificates because they're just they're no longer expensive. And as, exactly as you said, then sniffing all goes away right. because there will no you won't there'll no longer will your email username and password be going through an access point in the clear because you'll have the first thing you'll do is set up an SSL connection and encrypt the tunnel. And I mean, so, you know, there will still be problems, but incrementally, we're going to win this, I think, long term. I don't know if you and I'll still be around. That. <laughs> oh, that's oh that long term. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're ways not, off. Oh yeah, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. happening soon. It, it's <laughs> it's it's difficult to see how we get there. And due to the need for standards, and and this has to be done in a standards right, way. Right. It's it's going to be baby steps. It's like the EV certs. EV certs is a perfect example of a good step forward. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately, again, it's chicken and egg. Ultimately, commercial websites will have to prove that they are who they say they are, and they'll be able to to advertise that in the bars of web browsers. I mean, it's the other thing that was so clear to me, I'm sure this is not news to our listeners, but, you know, the web browser is our window to the world. It's, I mean, it is the application mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. especially with web 2.0 and, mm-hmm. and 3.0. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's the way you do things. We're going to talk a little bit about your Swedish lady and her amazing authentication oh, system the one co- i mean the coolest thing i saw at at rsa conference 2008 and she was just skulking in a corner because she'd been denied her booth oh, oh that's frustrating yes. and she was cute too but they don't oh show. now the truth comes out <laughs> swedish swedish smart stina ensvard i think is how i would print e-h-r-e-n-n no E-H-R-E-N-S-V-A-R-D. I just hope you anyway. got her phone number. That's all I can say. He's not saying anything. So we'll talk about, what is his name? Sig- Sweegard? Sigrid? 
um, we're going to talk about Yubico, Yubico and the YubiKey. And the YubiKey. But before we do the YubiKey, I want to talk about Astaro, our great sponsor, the folks who do the Astaro Security Gateway. They were at RSA, of course. Uh, and in fact, they launched a product at RSA, the Astaro Web Gateway, an all-in-one security appliance. Does it all. Integrated URL filtering, malware detection, application control, even bandwidth optimization. So it secures your web access for your enterprise. You can uh, you can get it in uh, sizes from 100 users to more than 2,000 users in the best of all no per user licensing. You can even get it as a virtual appliance if you've already got the hardware. Astaro is so good at they at what they do there. Security Gateway 320 received highest honors from SE Magazine's UTM group test. Got a recommended rating. I mean, just goes on and on and on. And you've heard us talk about it. I, I, I'm sure you're aware of the Astaro Security Gateway and the Astaro Web Gateway. If you're not, please do me a favor and uh, call them. You can get a free trial of either in your office, in your business, in your enterprise. All you have to do is call 877 877- the number four, A-S-T-A-R-O, that's 877-427-8276. If you're a non-commercial user, you can even try out the Astaro Security Gateway software. They have a virtual machine at VMware uh, that you can download, or you can download it for uh, free from astaro.com slash security now. What's cool about this, they've changed their, with the new V7 package, they changed their licensing, and you get, as a non-commercial user, free of charge, the base license, all subscriptions, Astaro's up-to-date program that update, updates you automatically. You're limited to 10 users and 1,000 concurrent connections. So basically, it's for non-commercial or home users. But that eliminates what they used to charge, 79 euros a year for that. So this is, they're just, I think they're good, good citizens in the security community as much as anything else. If you want a powerhouse of a security gateway, of a unified threat management system, does everything, including some convenience items, that they don't, you know, that wouldn't necessarily come under the UTM heading. For instance, uh, transparent email encryption and decryption and signing using uh, OpenPGP or SMIME. It does VPN via SSL, which makes it very easy for your users. Support, of course, for IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, and PPTP tunneling. Um, it's just, it does it all. I mean, I can go on and on. But the best way to find out about the features are call and uh, get a, a demo unit in your business. If you're a PIX user, Cisco's phasing out the PIX, you can get an extra discount from Astaro. 877-427-8276. 877-the number four, Astaro. We thank them so much for their support and congratulate them on the uh, on the release of the Astaro Web Gateway. It should be out sometime uh, in the second quarter of 2008. And it's uh, really a great solution. You can even optimize, I like this, Skype. So you could use that with a Skype and get better Skype calls so that your users, you know, aren't using BitTorrent and killing your Skype. I should set that up here, Steve, to make yeah. sure that Dane's not out there surfing porn while we're trying to talk. <laughs> I could I could prioritize our Skype packages. I like that. Given given how effective and productive Dane is, I have a feeling he's not. <laughs> no, no. He's, he's yeah. you know, you can Dane's sitting there waiting for me to 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 hand him the the this this show so he can get it ready for you. He yep. wants to get he's he's like on it. Man, he's good. So um, let's talk about your speed. Yes. Okay. Go open your browser, Leo. www.yubico.com. Yubico.com. Yubico.com. 
Y-U-B-I-C-O.com. Follow along in the home version. Oh, there she is. She's the CEO, and she's very attractive. Yes, and okay. <laughs> Not that we're focusing on that. No, what is no, this? no. Now, this is an authentication system. Look at the little picture of that thing. It's a key, it looks like. A USB. Oh, yes, it is. Leo, get a load of this. It is a, it's a USB uh, tiny thing, which is a USB keyboard. What? With a one-time password system. So you know how you can have USB keyboards. Yeah. Instead of like USB thumb oh, drive. Oh, it shows up as a CD. keyboard. I get it. I get what you're saying. The driver, yeah. the driver is using the HID driver. Exactly. So it it is a USB keyboard. And when but I don't you, see a key, I don't see any keys on it. No, and and that's just it. Is okay, see the little circle? Yeah. That 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 glows green and it is a touch button. Okay. So when you so okay, so here so okay, so for people who aren't seeing it, um let me describe it to people. It is a tiny little uh tiny little wafer i mean i'm as as our listeners know i'm very sensitive to the size of yeah. the junk on my key ring i just yeah. can't have much as i love the iron key i have a tiny little uh kingston uh four gig uh thumb drive because i actually can have it on my key ring and it doesn't bother me so so uh stina is what was standing there at, at at the top of the escalator heading down toward the the exhibit Did she floor. invent this Yes. How cool. Stina oh, Aronsvard, we should give her credit. Wow. She's the CEO, the founder, and the inventor. That she's is got, so cool. It, isn't it? It's just a perfect solution, Leo. I mean... Well, so, tell us so, how it works. Tell us how it works. Okay, so so I, you know, I'm. she's like, she sort of stops me kind of uh, as I was getting ready to go down to, to the convention floor and, and said... Uh, you're with the press and I, you know, have my press credentials, which, you know, uh, the RSA folks were kind enough to provide me. And, uh, and I said, yeah. And, and she said, um, well, I have something that I want to, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, of course. And so she, she, you know, holds this little thing, which is just, I mean, it is, it's wafer thin. It is, it is, um, I know that you and I have, have seen like USB, thumb drives which are just like a little plastic wafer that is yeah, all yeah. they are is like the four little contact fingers right. with a little and that's what this is so it is i mean it weighs nothing it's got you know no extraneous fluff on it and she says this is a one-time password authentication hmm. and i'm like ah, oh, yeah i know the floor is full of those right and and then she says it's a keyboard and i said what she said it looks like a keyboard, and it's like, oh my god! And I then got it right got away. It. Wow. Well, yeah. Okay, you better well, help no, us because we're a little I li- slower I, than you. I live in this space, yeah. so so, and, and I says, oh, and I said, this is so cool. And she and, she, and then she sort of apologized because here she was, you know, pulling random people off to the side to show them this, and she explained to me that she had a deal, and they reneged because she was supposed to be in one of the major corporation booths, but they decided no and i think it's because they didn't have anything nearly as cool right. as this thing so okay so the idea is first of all no battery unlimited shelf life it lives forever unlike you know many of the other i mean all of the other things have a battery now it does mean that you need to plug it in to use it it gets so power example, from the usb port 
Yes, it's powered by the, from the USB port, w- which has um, five volt oh, power. Oh, wait a minute! I'm available. starting to see this now. So it actually types in your passwords. That's exactly what it does. Yeah, and it, that which means it can be wacky and long. So the idea is. <laughs> oh, that, now I get it, Leo. It's so cool. <laughs> yes. It, okay. So, so tell me what it's so tell tell me what's going on inside. What is it doing? Okay. What what's going on inside is there's a non volatile counter that increments once. For each power-up event. So every time you plug it in, it th- there's a non-volatile counter that increments by one. So just like then the there- uh, VeriSign key, except you don't have to press the button. As soon as you plug it in, you're generating a new password. Well, okay. So no? then there's, there's a second counter that starts at zero when it's powered up and, uh-huh. and counts once for each code. Then And, and they, they, they use 128-bit AES to encrypt this. So basically this is a one time password system. Wow. So, and, and you can, I, I've got to get some more of these. So, so you can see it because I plugged mine in and the, and, and they've got a bunch of demo stuff where you can like see it happen. And there's a, the, the, the little ring sort of glows green. And I, and I, uh, and, and, you know, I was like pushing on it and I said, well, it doesn't go in. She says, Oh no, no, it's just a touch. It's just a touch surface. Ah, okay. So you just put you put your finger on it and wait it takes about a second and and she built a delay in so that it wouldn't misfire and then it spits out this long string of gibberish. And you know, I mean we're very familiar our listeners are familiar with long strings of gibberish because that's what this this show is all about. Uh, and I don't mean verbal. Uh, so uh, and of course every time you do it it generates a different long string of gibberish which it's turned into ASCII, and it's typed by this thing pretending to be a keyboard. So if I, instead of using my uh, PayPal dongle, I would use this. When I get to the PayPal login, I type my password. It then says, okay, give me the dongle number. I would plug in my Yubico key. Yes. It would automatically type it in for me. Yes. After I press that button, I guess. Now, what's very cool, there are a couple things that that I really like about this that that much as I have, like when we've talked about VeriSign and, and we know that I think their credit cards are cool, you know, their one-time password system and the footballs and the dongles and all that, it b- does bug me that their, that their business model requires major corporations to buy tons of these and then use VeriSign as the back end. That is, so, you know, VeriSign servers are performing the authentication. I've looked at, the, as we've said, I've vetted the, UP, the, the the API. I've looked at the protocol. It's 100% private. They're, they're doing nothing. They're, they're asking for no information they don't need. Basically, they're, they're saying, what's your dongle number? What did the dongle tell you? Right. Yes, that's good. I mean, that's all they're doing. But, you know, it, it means that, for example, as we know, my next product is going to be a really cool next generation VPN solution. Well, I can't use VeriSign because I'm not a big guy. I'm not Bank of America or PayPal or eBay or or one of these huge companies, but I could use this because they offer a low level SDK in C and Java that's with meaning open source with all the code. So I could build I could build the authentication into the VPN client itself so that when you're out on the road roaming around, you could use a YubiKey. Oh, and by the way, these are $4, depending upon upon quantity. Wow. So 
So uh, it they, they they have back-end servers if you want to use them. Because they, they have support, a web API. They have a web service. Yes. And they're fully OpenID compliant. So you can use this as your OpenID oh. authentication. Oh, I'm liking it more and more. And they have a PAM module. So you can use it for logging into Linux and, and wow. Macs and anything that, that has PAM. They support, they have web clients in Java, C Sharp, .NET, Python, PHP, and Ruby. So pretty much any website, you know, would be able to use this. Um, it's just, it is a cool solution. Now, one way it differs from the, the for example, the VeriSign um, credit card and, and football is you could use those, for example, at a web kiosk to authenticate. That is, you could use those where you have no access to USB, that is where you can't get to a machine's USB. But, for example, in a corporate environment where uh, where you want to have a corporate VPN and you've got roaming laptop users, well, this is a, a really nice um, mul- you know, third-factor, multi-factor authentication solution. And, and I just – the cleverness of – it being a keyboard, a USB keyboard that all operating systems support. Macs know about USB keyboards, Windows, Linux. I mean, no, it, it's a universal standard. That well, saves of, me from typing in some crazy, goofy password, too. Oh, and and, and these things, I mean, I'm, I've looked at it at what it's typing in and it's this you know, it is it, it is. Are, are it looks long, like long, long? it look. Yeah, it looks like one of GRC's not so, you know, perfect passwords. One of those, you know, just gobbledygook, although it's all ASCII so that it doesn't have a problem getting through the web and it, it, it doesn't need to be URL escaped and all that. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it is a, it's not something you would ever want to type in. Every time you touch the button, it generates, the, yeah, the next one. So it is a super secure one-time password system in the form of a super tiny little USB thing that really could go on your keychain and and be authentication. And since they're providing open ID and backend, anybody who wants to use this, you know, could like get these and and use them for authentication. You know what I like? I'm, I'm, Let's say we wanted to do um, subscription only access to say the video that we stream of this. We could you send us the subscription fee. We send you one of these. Yep. And without that you can't get on. Yep. We don't have to worry. We wouldn't have to worry about piracy or even, D, well, I guess DRM we would have to worry about because it's content. But, I mean, that's pretty cool. At it four is, bucks a pop, that's, you know, that's very affordable. Now, I mean, I just, I, I'm, again, I wanted to to say, I, this is the, like, the, in a show that was all pretty much stuff that we've talked about and, you know, everyone saying this is the world's, you know, most amazing, you know, security, identity, authentication stuff. I mean, here was one thing new. And I just, yeah, I, and I, I, I loved, I felt, of course, sorry for her story that she would have been in a booth, but she got, you know, removed. It's like, okay, well, sorry about that. Anyway, this thing is just, it is, it, it is way, way cool. And I wanted to bring it to our listeners' attention. Um, there's, I, I mean, if we've got people who, who are, you know, like potential uh, users who are running websites who have have a need for some sort of authentication where like and what again I like about it is that you're not setting up a huge account with with someone else. You can do all the authentication yourself in your own server or in your own utility or or whatever. I just it's way cool. Now, by the way, uh, uh, 
Y-U-B-I-C-O.com. And if you go there, she has on the front page somebody named Steve Osborne saying the coolest authentication hardware device ever. I think she means you, Steve. <laughs> well, you might want to you might want to call her and say, ah, it's Gibson. Of course, yeah. we probably butchered Stina's name too, Aaron Smart. Well, and I'm sure that's not me because I think uh, it is you. I know I there, there's no security researcher I know of named Steve Osborne. I just Googled it. There's nobody there. I think uh, it's you. Let's click on references. Uh, re- it's reference- not mentioned. It's not mentioned. I think she. I think she. Threw that in, and she figured everybody's gonna know who Steve Osborne is. <laughs> I think it's maybe you. it was a language gap. <laughs> I yeah, was... I mean, because she had a. I mean, she was speaking English sure. much better than I speak Swedish. Uh, oh well, yeah, she, oh yeah, she, all the she, Swedes speak English very well. Well, if if this is me, you have my permission to put to chain Osborne into Gibson <laughs> because it does sound like what you would say. In fact, I think you said that. I, I, you know, it's funny because I read that this morning when I was when I was getting the URL. And I thought, oh, that nice. I wonder who he is. Maybe that's <laughs> <He's> me. You. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't see a Steve Osborne in these other references. I'm pretty sure it's you, but I could be wrong. If it's if there if Steve if if there's a Steve Osborne listening, I apologize. But uh, he can't be that well known because he doesn't show up in Google. And you do, by the way, if you type in Steve Gibson. If you do, you'll get sent to grc.com. That's Steve's website. That's where he sells Spinrite, of course. The world's finest, the best, the only, really, hard drive maintenance and recovery utility that's worth talking about. He also gives away a lot of great free stuff. Oh, highly recommend visiting uh, just the the freebies on grc.com, like Shields Up, which you can use to test your firewall. Uh, shoot the messenger, decombobulator, leak test, unplug and pray. I love Wismo. You might want to take a look at the the newest Wismo plug-in, which turns off zero config. I had a woman call the radio show uh, Sunday, and she said, I, I, my wireless keeps dropping its connections. It keeps dropping its connections. And I went, oh, I know what that is. Hey, and speaking of which, Leo, um, my tech guy, Greg, has had a constant problem with that. And in this, in his case, the wireless zero config turning it off did not solve the problem. Ah, okay. He did a lot of Googling. It's been, it's been bugging him for months. It was his laptop's modem. Oh, wow. He has, it was the modem drivers. He disabled them and the problem disappeared. <laughs> That's why computer issues are so tough. Because it's a million things. It's such a complex system. Well, Wismo's fun, even if, it, even if uh, landlocked, or Wanlock, I should say, doesn't do it for you. It's certainly worth having. And uh, that's also where you'll go to get 16 kilobit versions of the show. For uh, those of you who are bandwidth challenged, we also have uh, complete show uh, transcriptions there, thanks to Elaine. And we'll have show notes, and there's a lot of links. Yes, we're going to be one. link happy for, for yeah. this week's episode. I'll get that page to you and Dane right away, Leo. Excelente. Steve, I thank you so much. Great talking to you. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I think this sounds like the RSA conference was worth your trip up to San Francisco. Sounds like it was fascinating. It was fantastic. And I'm yeah. really glad that this show is able to bring it to our listeners. Yeah. We will see you all next week on Security Now. Thanks for joining us. Take care, Steve. Security Now.